uh, there with you handy or you've got your cell phone or whatever app you'd like to use or device you want to look up uh, the Bible today's uh, reading and verses are going to come from chapter 5 and verses 33 through 40 from the book of Acts um, I've got those on the screen I'll share them in just a minute but I think it's important as we come to this story I want you to know uh, God laid this on my heart heavy this message I, I was talking with Beth earlier in the week and, you know, we, uh, we typically, if you're a guest, your first time here, welcome. Um, but we typically, week to week, I preach through a book of the Bible or a story in the Bible. And right now we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. So week to week, I know what my verses are. I know where God's taken us. Um, and we broke for that this, uh, this weekend to really take a moment and pause and celebrate what this Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, truly represents and uh, there's so many great scriptures around the resurrection and the story of of christ and what happened but god laid this on my heart it's one of my favorite passages of scripture i think it's uh it's for you because uh, it was for me and if you're listening it's for you today it's a message for doubters maybe people have wondered you know uh what does it mean that jesus was resurrected or was he really resurrected um, and uh, so I was once a doubter. I was one of those people at one time, and God pursued me and loved me and, uh, and slowly grew my faith through multiple circumstances in my life to a point where uh, he has renewed my heart and mind, and I have no doubt uh, at this point the power represented and demonstrated in the resurrection of uh, Christ. This passage of Scripture is about a group of people uh, who doubted, that was full of doubters, this story, doubted that Jesus was who he was claimed to be. I want to give you just a little bit of insight on where we are in time. This is uh, soon after Christ's resurrection and ascension. This is after he had visited with his disciples. Multiple people had seen him. There were all kinds of eyewitness accounts of him physically walking around after he was resurrected. Uh, and he had began to build his early church. That's the story in the book of Acts penned by Luke. Um, and chapter 1, he says, I'm, I'm going away, he says, but uh, go to the, the ends of the earth, baptizing and building disciples. And that's the, the direction he gave his church, Peter specifically, and the other disciples. Chapter 2, Pentecost, Peter preaches this powerful sermon, the Holy Spirit comes down, gets in the lives and the hearts of believers. The world has never been the same. Um, and so here we're in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, and these disciples, this early church, they've been doing some incredible things. The Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, uh, were just they, they didn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed in the Old Testament staunchly. They were legalistic, and they had, they're set in their mind what a Messiah would be like, and the Messiah in their mind was not like Jesus. So they literally, the very people who had been talking about and hoping for a Messiah, the Messiah had come not only had they missed him, but they crucified him. And so in the middle of this story, and these disciples in the early church, they're starting to heal people, and the Sanhedrin's getting all tore up, right? This, this is ruffling feathers all over the place. They're like, wait, these people who follow Jesus, now they're doing these miraculous things. They healed a lame man. Peter and the, uh, the, the apostles have already been in front of the Sanhedrin once, and they got turned loose. They just, they'd said, don't preach about, don't teach about Jesus anymore, and what did they do? They went out and kept teaching about Jesus. Then we find in this chapter 5, 
that they were teaching again and that people were just bringing sick to them to heal. And they were healing people left and right. And again, the Sadducees, there's a group on the, the Sanhedrin, they were getting all upset, they were getting jealous. The Bible literally says they were getting uh, jealous. And, uh, and so they began to, uh, uh, they called all the Peter and the apostles, the disciples in again. They went and, and brought them in, put them in prison. All right, lock them up, they said. Um, so they're locked up. Here's what God does. Uh, he sends an angel, frees them from prison that night before they've even been before the Sanhedrin, lets them out. The guards don't even know that they've gotten out, and they've gone back out to the courtyard in the most public place, and they're teaching about Jesus again. We come to this section. Uh, that, that morning, after they've broken out of jail, the Sanhedrin gathers. They send the security guards to the jail and say, go get Peter and the, the disciples. Bring them before us. They go to the jail. They're not there. The guards are like, we don't know where they are. Word gets around. They start asking. Maybe it's on Facebook. I don't know. Uh, uh, but they were in the courtyard teaching about Jesus again. So they run to the courtyard. They arrest them. They bring them before the Sanhedrin. That's where we are. They're here. This is what the guards said to the Sanhedrin, starting in verse 25. So then someone come and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And that, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Verse 29, we're going to get uh, on the screen in just a moment. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, here's where it gets good. Out of nowhere, this unlikely ally on the Sanhedrin stands up. His name is Gamaliel. What a beautiful name. Any of you expecting babies, uh, you know, put that one at the top of the list. Gamaliel, uh, G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L. It's beautiful. You can change the spelling if you want to be cool. Uh, but Gamaliel is this guy's name. He is a, uh, of the time, he is the most revered uh, Pharisee, a, a great teacher of the law. He is on the council of the Sanhedrin, which is the elders of, the, of Israel. This is the leadership team. He stands up. Can you get me? Can you be there just for a moment? He stands up. Peter and the apostles standing before the entire council, and they're so angry. They're ready to kill them. Verse 33, it says, When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. The very people that Jesus had looked to uh, at the end of the book of John, he looked at Peter and said, do you love me? Do you love me? Then build my church, feed my sheep. This very person is now standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're ready to kill Peter in verse 33. But here's what happens. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was 
honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So he, he stands up. Everybody's like, wow, Gamaliel is standing up. What's he going to say? What is he going to do? What is he all about? And then we find in verse 35, it says, Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. He had the, the disciples taken out. It's time for a closed-door meeting. He says, men of Israel, consider carefully. Could you remember those two words? We're going to end there today. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Gamaliel saying, listen, Sanhedrin, and listen, Gamaliel did not really accept Jesus as Messiah. He wasn't up as one of the disciples. He was really just trying to keep the peace. He didn't want this council split, and he didn't want riots. Uh, and he saw this as a way to keep it together. He used a little bit of logic here. He said, hey, listen, we've seen these people come and go before. They, they get a following. It's not of God. They die, and then it fades away. And he says, if this is a men, it's going to fail. Then he says in verse 39 some powerful words. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Here we find the title of our sermon this morning, Unstoppable. Unstoppable. We serve a God that is unstoppable. What does that mean for our lives? How do we find that in the story of Jesus? There's two things about God's will that we find here in this, this little story, this true story. One, we find out about God's sovereign or decreed will. We find that when God... Uh, that God has decreed from the beginning that he has a purpose for mankind. And anything in that overarching purpose, there is nothing that can stop it. Let me give you a few examples of Jesus' life. You remember he was conceived in a virgin named Mary. Wasn't even wed yet. Had a fiancé named Joseph. He was ready to marry her until he found out she was with child. Intended her to put her away in divorce. And yet, the very, uh, a very, the an, an angel of God appeared to him. And what Joseph felt in that moment felt like failure. He felt like his, he'd, been, he'd, been mis, uh, he, he'd been cheated on. He, he had been uh, cheated in life. And in that very moment, that it felt like God's purpose and intention uh, and plan was getting ready to be derailed. Uh, God stepped in and said, no, this is the way that it's going to be. Then they find out that they've been called uh, for the census, that they've got to go back to Bethlehem. 
They've got to get, and she's with child, and they've got to get on a donkey, and they've got to travel all these miles. And they were in this middle of frustration. I, I can't imagine how frustrating that must have been, uh, myself having a, a young child and been through uh, multiple pregnancies with my wife and how hard it would have been to say, oh, my gosh, right now, why do we have to go right now? And you may be asking those questions about this time in your life. Then they get there, we finally made it to Bethlehem, and then they get faced with disappointment. They knock on every door, and there's nowhere for them, no room for them in the inn. There's nowhere to lay down, and Mary is getting ready to deliver Jesus Christ, and God makes a way in a manger and a humble beginning for Christ to lay his baby head. We find then fear and intimidation comes into life that Herod uh, decides he's hearing rumors that there's a new king coming and he, he, he kills all the baby boys that would have been around the age of Jesus. He sends out a decree and, he, and, and this must have been Joseph and Mary in fear and, and everybody's doing their part to disrupt the plans of God and they can't do it. They escape to Egypt, we find this, this young boy of 12, Jesus Christ, begins teaching and preaching in ways that are blowing people's minds. God's fulfilling his plan. We find the devil himself calls Jesus out to the mount to tempt him, to get him to, to give up uh, on what God's plan is for his life and to surrender to him. And we find that Jesus quotes scripture to Satan. And then we find as Jesus comes to the story that we know so well that this day is all about. That he was betrayed. Judas thought, I can disrupt this. Yeah, I followed Jesus for a while, but silver sounds better. I'm going to disrupt this. I'm going to sell Jesus out. We find the story of the Passover that Jesus already knew who was going to pass, who was going to betray him. Judas tried to stop him. They came in, they arrested him. They put him in front of uh, Pilate and Herod Agrippa, and they put him before different councils and leaders, and they, they kept accusing him, and nobody, nobody was finding any guilt with him. And finally, the crowd was just so rallied up. That he is creating such discord. We've got to put a stop to this. And so they uh, just aggressively yelling, shouting. Pilate agreed to free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. He was immediately led away and down the path to his crucifixion. The leaders, the Romans thought this is the time, this is it. We're finally putting a stop to this nonsense, to this disruptor. They nailed him to the cross. They hung him up. You know the story. Fantastic stories there. There's two that jump out to me as Christ was on the cross and he was beginning to breathe his last breath. 
And a Roman soldier began to question, what if this is the Messiah? If this is of man, if it is not a man, then it's not going to come to anything anyway. But as Gamaliel says, if this is of God, do you want to be found fighting against God? The Roman soldier thought that. We've been teaching the Sermon on the Mount about how, what God's kingdom is, a spiritual kingdom, uh, not a political kingdom, not a worldly kingdom, not a powerful kingdom. None of his disciples, nobody could get it except for one thief that was hanging beside him. I don't know how he got it. I don't know how he understood it. But you remember uh, what he said, right? As he was hanging there beside Jesus. He said, will you remember me when you establish your kingdom? If anybody around him heard that, everybody's thinking, wait, how's he, he's getting ready to die. He's not going to establish a kingdom. He should have been king and taken back. He should have fought back Rome, and we should be powerful Israel again. And here's this thief. He's a nobody on the cross looking at the man they thought was a nobody. They, we find that Peter told the Sanhedrin once, this man Jesus was the stone you tossed to the other side but he's actually become the chief cornerstone. And while he was on the cross, that one thief, he got it. He said, remember me when you establish your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And at that moment, that time, darkness came, hopelessness came, began to question what's next, what was all this about. They'd murdered the very leader of this movement and they thought they'd stopped it let me tell you the devil since the beginning of time Satan himself since the beginning since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and we fell under the curse of the law and death entered this world the devil had something in his back pocket the greatest weapon and it was death Death that he could bring on us that we could not live forever. And in that death that was brought on by sin and our lives were born into the sinful nature. And the devil, until Jesus Christ and what we're going to be talking about here today, had been trying to disrupt God's plan. Because God had been working since Adam and Eve through a plan to, to, to bring forward the nation of Israel. You can go read the stories in the Old Testament where Pharaoh had taken Egypt. Uh, taking taking the, the children of Israel and put them in slavery in Egypt. And they turned into millions. He got so scared, he, he kept them in slavery. And, and, and then he brought forward this little baby Moses. And, and Moses was put in a basket. He was, a, he was an Israelite. He, he should have been, been killed. And yet he was in a, in a basket and he floated down. And Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him. He spent 40 years being raised uh, in the Egyptian leadership seeing his people, knowing who his real mom was, and he got so mad he messed it up, took things into his own hands and tried to kill an Egyptian, and he goes up to Midian for 40 years in the desert learning what God wants him to do, and he brings him back and he rescues. God himself rescues, even though Moses messed up, even though Pharaoh's given his best, he, he begins to bring plagues onto Egypt to put his plan into place. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is the first 
part of God's will in this story that Gamaliel got. God is sovereign. (laughs) He has a plan. And he is going to enact that plan. And you, feeble person, me, feeble person, cannot stop it. Cannot change it. Joshua was sold into slavery. The end of that story where he again is moved down to Egypt and he's raised up uh, and becomes a leader in the Egyptian army and the Egyptian uh, leadership. And uh, he sees, looking back, tells his brothers when they finally meet up again and he's gone through terrible times, uh, slavery. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is the most fascinating thing about God for me. This is what I love about God. That somehow his will plays out. Even though David sinned, even though Abraham got impatient, his plan, somehow he works it to fulfillment. There's a second part of God's will. That's called God's revealed will or his commanded will. These are the things he's taught us to do. Things he's uh, obedience. Things that are about our obedience. Like in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In 1 John 2.17 it says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The will of God are the things he's commanded us to do, to to be patient, to be long-suffering, to be poor in spirit, to turn the other cheek, all these things that he's taught us to do. We have to choose. Somehow God is so amazing, he can take all us broken people that make mistakes and and we're not perfect and we're not always uh, perfectly pursuing and, and obeying God's commandments and his revealed will in our life, yet his overarching purpose and will plays out. He is unstoppable. The Bible teaches us that. Take Acts Chapter 4, verse 27 through 28 says, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Somehow he is using these people in his plan, Herod and Pilate. Let me say this. This helps us understand maybe you were abused as a child. And you say, wait, was that God's will? Let me say first, that is not God's revealed will. His commandments, whoever abused you, whatever wrong thing has been done to you, was not right. It was not good. It it broke God's heart. It made him angry. It was sin. He hates sin. It was sin and it was not good. Here's the beauty of the God that we serve. But because he can use those bad things and he works them for our good. I don't know how he does it. I can't do it. I'm not God. But this morning you can rest 
in the confidence to know and say, oh my gosh, our church isn't meeting. We've not been together in, in five weeks, in four weeks. We've not been in the building. I mean, churches aren't getting together anywhere in Kentucky, anywhere in the country. People aren't gathering together. And let me tell you, if this was a church, if this was a gathering of Jared, if this was of men, if this was Adam, if this was of, of, of the elders, if this was of you and, and me being in these seats, yeah, it probably couldn't withstand this. But our God is unstoppable. You've studied, you've put your heart into God's word, and you felt him calling and working in your life and a purpose and a plan. Let me tell you, if it's God's purpose and a plan, you may face, just like Joseph and Mary did, you may face failure, frustration, disappointment, fear and intimidation. Let me tell you who's bringing all those at you. It is the devil. The Bible also teaches that the same power that, that resurrected Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit, when, when your mind is renewed in him, you have that power living inside of you. And, and, and you, you're not unstoppable to do whatever you want. But when God puts a plan in place, it's unstoppable. You can be rest assured that if things go awry, God is not out of sorts and out of control, scattered trying to figure out, oh my God, what am I going to do? It's just all falling apart. It doesn't happen. He's in control right now. This total chaos is steeped in purpose. Don't let the devil convince us otherwise. We find the final element of Jesus' life where he was hopeless, where his, his disciples and family felt hopeless, where the whole situation felt hopeless. He breathed the last breath. He died on the cross. For three days, people wondered, what's next? We've stopped. This plan has been stopped. This great teacher we had is gone. Even his own disciples, you remember Peter, at one point he's gone fishing. He just says, I'm going fishing. I've lost my best friend, the guy I trusted in the most. I'm just going back to who I was. All I know is fishing. I was wrong about him. He's dead. Only that thief on the cross knew the kingdom Jesus was setting up. The very thing Satan had got a hold of when we sinned was death. The thing that he, had, he could hold over our heads that you are not perfect. You've you got a sinful nature. You're going to die. And, and, and the, the, the wages of sin are death. You have no hope for heaven. You're destined for hell. There's no way you can get there. It says Jesus Christ went into the depths. That he went. And celebrated victory over death. That in his resurrection, he proved to the devil, who, devil who's been trying for thousands of years to thwart the plan of God through every person and decade and ability and, 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 and doubts and fear and frustration and failure and human intellect and sinful nature and all these things, temptations he's throwing. And God is unstoppable. And this is the ultimate expression and demonstration that our God is unstoppable. Jesus Christ raised with victory over death, which means we can too. By grace, what does 
a God with this kind of power do? What does God do with his unstoppable power? He is this, 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 this all-powerful being. What does he do? He loves. He loves you. He pursues you. He came and paid a price. He, he took the punishment, the death that we deserved, the cross that we deserved. He came and lived perfectly, fulfilled the law, but still took the punishment. So that we, through our faith in Jesus Christ, could have his blood applied to our life. We just took communion. It means everything. Because the blood applied to our life makes us as white as snow. We now are righteous in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. Our own righteousness, we have no hope. But in Jesus, we do. Our God does not phase out. The church is not going to disseminate. It's not going to fall apart. We're not going to fall apart. It's not going to slack off. God's power is unstoppable. There's nothing a government can do to stop it. There's nothing uh, a virus can do to stop the the, uh, the, the fellowship and community of the real church. We're assembled together this morning. That doesn't have to mean physically, but we are together in worship. We're together in scripture. We're together in one mind and one accord and say, God, we're trusting you. You are unstoppable. Your plan and your purpose are going to prevail. And I want to be a part of it. And this is where I want to stop and think. As we know, God with unstoppable power, he leaves the 99 and came looking for me. He's looking for you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. This is what all of his power is about is a story of grace and mercy to give, uh, give the, his creation hope of heaven. But he can't force you into this. The Bible teaches he is the author of our faith. The Bible also teaches that we must step out in faith, that there's some personal responsibility. I want you to think of these words that this man Gamaliel, as we see in this very story, an example of an unstoppable God. The devil thinks he's almost got Peter whipped. He's got him in front of the Sanhedrin. They're getting ready to kill him. <laughs> and here's God. Gamaliel stands up. Get out. I want to talk to you all. Gamaliel's not a Christian. Think he's part of God's purpose and plan? Turns out the disciples and Peter, they just get a nice little beating and they praise the Lord for it. This same Peter that was definitely stoppable. If you remember, uh, after Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied Jesus three times, didn't even want people, didn't even want a little girl know beside the campfire that he had ever been around Jesus, is now standing before the most powerful council and the, the Sanhedrin. And, and, and just in chapter three or four, he said, this very man, the, the stone that you cast to the side is the chief cornerstone. This is Peter who said, I would choose to obey God over men. I'm ready to die for Jesus when just earlier, he denied him. This is Jesus' power. This is the unstoppable power of God. When we turn our lives over to him, when we give our hearts to him, when we say we trust in you and our hearts and our minds are renewed in his spirit, that's the kind of change that can be in us. This morning I ask you to consider the second part of God's will God's commanded us to do. Absent our profession of faith in him, 
There's nothing he can do to save us. Absence our trust in Jesus Christ, we have no access to God and the Father. I ask you this morning, as Gamaliel said to the men of Israel, to consider carefully. Consider carefully, because Gamaliel was right. This was not a thing of men. It was a thing of God. We stand here today. You're seeing Jesus Christ preached all over in social media. You're seeing the, the, the growth of his church since then to now, which started with you know uh, 12 outsiders. Nobody would have ever picked the line in one of our favorite songs, Nobody. And we see us here in Pikeville. We see people in California. We, we see people in India. We see people in China professing their faith in Christ and lives being changed. We see the Bible being the most uh, read book, the top book, year after year. We see all of the people who had eyewitness accounts that Jesus was resurrected because this is of God. So I want you to consider carefully if you've never made that profession of faith, to consider carefully what you do with this man named Jesus. I want our church, our Christians, to be encouraged this morning to know that this is this church, while we uh, human, the people, we have, you know, we feel like we, I come and preach, we feel like we have elders and treasurers and you do good work and we have other volunteers and teachers that we are part of an unstoppable work of God Christ and God in your life and his will things will try to distract you but if it is his will if you spent time in his word and it's telling you God's doing this you better believe he's going to do it we're going to close with a song uh, this morning again another familiar voice Waylon has put another uh, lyric video together for us uh, a great song that speaks to this that I'd ask while you're there in your living room or in your car wherever you are listening right now that you consider carefully what you're going to do with Jesus on this resurrection Sunday he is risen and that changes everything no greater demonstration that we serve an unstoppable God <laughs>
you for joining us this morning I, uh, I pray you see this morning the, the power of, uh, of God's sovereign will in your life I pray we understand that we still have personal responsibility to choose what we're going to do with Jesus Christ and the commandments that God has given us and putting our faith and trust in him 
Uh, and that although God can use bad things and evil things to work out his plan, there's always consequence to sin. That when we have sin in our life, there's consequence. Even if we're a Christian, when we sin, it has consequence. Maybe here and now, sometimes it's with our family and friends and relationships. But sin always comes with consequences. Um, so let's be in, in prayer for one another. Uh, join us again Wednesday night. Uh, if you've not joined our Facebook group online, New Beginnings Church Community, it's connected to our page. Go, go jump in there. We do a live stream every Wednesday night at 730, just bringing people together. Uh, and I'd also encourage you, if God dealt with you this morning, if God's doing things in your life, we want to hear about it. You can go to our, our website um, and, and submit a, a form there that sends us an email that says, hey, uh, this is what God's doing in my life. We'd love to hear those testimonies and share with the rest of the group. Maybe you want to send a video testimony in of just yourself talking about what God's doing in your life. We'd love to share that. Uh, you can Facebook message us. You can contact me. Uh, you can get a hold of us. We'd love to know what God is doing uh, through our ministry for your life. Um, we invite you back next Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, um, to join us as we jump back into the Sermon on the Mount series and we find out about prayer as Jesus teaches. He's an unstoppable God. He's powerful. And guess what? we got a direct line of communication with him. And we're going to talk about how to talk with God uh, next week. So don't miss that. Uh, we're going to we're planning on doing a replay of this morning service on Facebook uh, live this afternoon, this evening at seven. So watch for that. If you want to share it with your friends that may not have joined this morning on YouTube, we're going to reshare it so you can do it together as a community. Um, I thank you. I love you, God. This is a day that changed everything. You are uh, unstoppable. You proved it with your victory over death. God, I'm thankful that, God, you kept calling and pursuing me, and I surrendered my life to you. Uh, God, I'm thankful for the faith you've given me. I'm thanking for this ministry you've given our church. I'm thankful for the people that are here uh, and are part of your church, God, that are making a difference and sharing that love, that unstoppable power you're using for love. We're doing it the same, to love our neighbor, care for our neighbor. God, let us live that out in our life. God, please continue to be present in these times of uncertainty and reassure us, give us confidence and peace and trust that you're in control. It's going to be okay. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.